Volume Seven, Chapter Eight of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Edith Fern, Southern California, August twenty eighth, two thousand eight. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney, Volume Seven, Chapter Eight: An Embarrassment. The day passed on without any intelligence. The next day also passed in the same manner, and on the third, which was her birthday, Cecilia became of age. The preparations which had long been making among her tenants to celebrate this event, Cecilia appeared to take some share, and endeavoured to find some pleasure in. She gave a public dinner to all who were willing to partake of it. She promised redress to those who complained of hard usage. She pardoned many debts, and distributed money, food, and clothing to the poor. These benevolent occupations made time seem less heavy, and while they freed her from solitude, diverted her suspense. She still, however, continued at the house of Mrs. Charlton, the workmen having disappointed her in finishing her own. But in defiance of her utmost exertion, towards the evening of this day the uneasiness of her uncertainty grew almost intolerable. The next morning she had promised Delville to set out for London, and he expected the morning after to claim her for his wife. Yet Mr. Monkton neither sent nor came, and she knew not if her letter was delivered, or if still he was unprepared for the disappointment by which he was awaited. A secret regret for the unhappiness she must occasion him, which silently yet powerfully reproached her, stole fast upon her mind, and poisoned its tranquillity. For though her opinion was invariable in holding his proposal to be wrong, she thought too highly of his character to believe he would have made it, but from a mistaken notion it was right." She painted him, therefore, to herself, as glowing with indignation, accusing her of inconsistency, and perhaps suspecting her of coquetry, and imputing her change of conduct to motives the most trifling and narrow, till with resentment and disdain he drove her wholly from his thoughts. In a few minutes, however, the picture was reversed. Delville no more appeared storming nor unreasonable. His face wore an aspect of sorrow, and his brow was clouded with disappointment. He forbore to reproach her, but the look which her imagination delineated was more piercing than words of severest import. These images pursued and tormented her, drew tears from her eyes, and loaded her heart with anguish. Yet when she recollected that her conduct had had in view a higher motive than pleasing Delville, she felt that it ought to offer her a higher satisfaction. She tried, therefore, to revive her spirits, by reflecting upon her integrity, and refused all indulgence to this enervating sadness beyond what the weakness of human nature demands, as some relief to its sufferings upon every fresh attack of misery. A conduct such as this was the best antidote against affliction, whose arrows are never with so little difficulty repelled, as when they light upon a conscience which no self-reproach has laid bare to their malignancy. Before six o'clock the next morning, her maid came to her bedside with the following letter, which she told her had been brought by an express. To Miss Beverley May this letter, with one only from Delville Castle, be the last that Miss Beverley may ever receive. Yet sweet to me as is that hope, I write in the utmost uneasiness. I have just heard that a gentleman, whom by the description that is given of him, I imagine is Mr. Monkton, has been in search of me with a letter which he was anxious to deliver immediately. Perhaps this letter is from Miss Beverley. Perhaps it contains directions which ought instantly to be followed, could I divine what they are, with what eagerness would I study to anticipate their execution? It will not, I hope, be too late to receive them on Saturday, 
when her power over my actions will be confirmed, and when every wish she will communicate shall be gratefully, joyfully, and with delight fulfilled. I have sought Belfield in vain. He has left Lord Van Elt, and no one knows whither he is gone. I have been obliged, therefore, to trust a stranger to draw up the bond, but he is a man of good character, and the time of secrecy will be too short to put his discretion in much danger. Tomorrow, Friday, I shall spend solely in endeavouring to discover Mr. Monckton. I have leisure sufficient for the search, since so prosperous has been my diligence that everything is prepared. I have seen some lodgings in Pell Mill, which I think are commodious and will suit you. Send a servant, therefore, before you to secure them. If upon your arrival I should venture to meet you there, be not, I beseech you, offended or alarmed. I shall take every possible precaution neither to be known nor seen, and I will stay with you only three minutes. The messenger who carries this is ignorant from whom it comes, for I fear his repeating my name among your servants, and he could scarce return to me with an answer before you will yourself be in town. Yes, loveliest Cecilia, at the very moment you receive this letter, the chaise will, I flatter myself, be at the door, which is to bring to me a treasure that will enrich every future hour of my life. And, oh, as to me it will be exhaustless, may but its sweet dispenser experience some share of the happiness she bestows, and then what, save her own purity, will be so perfect, so unsullied, as the felicity of her, M.D. The perturbation of Cecilia upon reading this letter was unspeakable. Mr. Monckton, she found, had been wholly unsuccessful, all her heroism had answered no purpose, and the transaction was as backward as before she had exerted it. She was now, therefore, called upon to think and act entirely for herself. Her opinion was still the same, nor did her resolution waver, yet how to put it in execution she could not discern. To write to him was impossible, since she was ignorant where he was to be found. To disappoint him at the last moment she could not resolve, since such a conduct appeared to her unfeeling and unjustifiable. For a few instants she thought of having him waited for at night in London with a letter. But the danger of entrusting any one with such a commission, and the uncertainty of finding him, should he disguise himself, made the success of this scheme too precarious for trial. One expedient alone occurred to her, which, though she felt to be hazardous, she believed was without an alternative. This was no other than hastening to Lena herself, consenting to the interview he had proposed in Pell-Mell, and then, by strongly stating her objections, and confessing the grief they occasioned her, to pique at once his generosity and his pride upon releasing her himself from the engagement into which he had entered. She had no time to deliberate. Her plan, therefore, was decided almost as soon as formed, and every moment being precious, she was obliged to awaken Mrs. Charlton and communicate to her at once the letter from Delville and the new resolution she had taken. Mrs. Charlton, having no object in view but the happiness of her young friend, with a facility that looked not for objections, and scarce saw them when presented, agreed to the expedition, and kindly consented to accompany her to London. For Cecilia, however concerned to hurry and fatigue her, was too anxious for the sanction of her presence to hesitate in soliciting it. A chaise, therefore, was ordered, and with post-horses for speed, and two servants on horseback, the moment Mrs. Charlton was ready, they set out on their journey. Scarce had they proceeded two miles on their way, when they were met by Mr. Monckton, who was hastening to their house. Amazed and alarmed at a sight so unexpected, he stopped the chaise to inquire whither they were going. Cecilia, without answering, asked if her letter had yet been received. "'I could not,' said Mr. Monckton, "'deliver it to a man who is not to be found. 
I was at this moment coming to acquaint how vainly I had sought him, but still that your journey is unnecessary and less voluntary. Since I have left it at the house where you told me you should meet tomorrow morning, and where he must then unavoidably receive it. Indeed, sir, cried Cecilia, tomorrow morning will be too late. In conscience, in justice, and even in decency too late. I must, therefore, go to town. Yet I go not, believe me, in opposition to your injunctions, but to enable myself, without treachery or dishonour, to fulfil them. Mr. Monckton, aghast and confounded, made not any answer, to Cecilia gave orders to the postillion to drive on. He then hastily called to stop him, and began the warmest expostulations. But Cecilia, firm when she believed herself right, though wavering when fearful she was wrong, told him it was now too late to change her plan, and repeating her orders to the postillion, left him to his own reflections, grieved herself to reject his counsel, yet too intently occupied by her own affairs and designs to think long of any other. End of chapter 8 Recorded by Edith Fern, Southern California